So we're going to talk about uh, another happening from that first resurrection day, but I'm, I'm going to start a new series today called Blind Spot, and I'll share a little bit more about that. You all know what that is, kind of like that. Um, but everybody knows who Elvis is, right? Elvis Presley, okay? Well, Elvis, um, before he got really famous in his career, uh, you know, was in Tennessee, and he knew a lady named Lil Thompson who had a steakhouse, and... Uh, he would get free food there quite often, and, and as he got more and more popular, he would stop in and, and frequent that steakhouse. Well, I think it was in the late 1950s, he heard about there was going to be a uh, Elvis impersonation contest at Lil's Steakhouse, and he heard about this, and he said, just for fun, I'm going to show up and I'm going to enter it. So he did, and he kind of came in at the height of the night, and there's all these different people there impersonating Elvis. He came in with a lot of his entourage. Nobody really seemed to know it was him, and he sat in the back and waited for his turn to get called up, and he came up, and he told his entourage, he goes, I'm going to smash this. I'm going to win. I know I will, and he got up and sang Love Me Tender to polite applause and came in third. And you think, how, how, did, how did that happen? How does Elvis not win an Elvis impersonator contest? How could people have missed that? He's actually present, and you don't realize that it's really him. And you pick two impersonators over him. Well, it seems to be very clear to me how that's possible. The folks there did not really know Elvis, did they? They really didn't know Elvis. And if you really want to know Elvis, you got to know him. And you would pick him. You would sew it for his mannerisms, from who he is. You would know it was him. But they didn't. They liked the idea of knowing Elvis. And they liked his music. They enjoyed his music. They saw him uh, on TV. They probably saw him in movies. They probably heard him on the radio all the time. But in reality, they didn't really know who he really was. And sometimes, you know, we think we know more than we really do, don't we? You know people like that? See, that's what you're thinking of. You're not thinking of you. You're thinking of people that think they know it all. That's what you're thinking about right now. See, that's what I'm thinking about. But no, I, I have these moments of arrogance where I think I know things or think I know more than I really do. And, and I miss a lot of things. Sometimes people will say something and I go, oh, I didn't realize that. And it gets pointed out. Because, see, we all have blind spots. And it can be an attitude and a belief that we know it all and we have it all figured out. Or we really... As humans do have blind spots, don't we? I know I have them. And when I say blind spot, that might be the first thing you think of is a, a driving your vehicle and there's a blind spot. You know, I can't see in this certain spot. It may be the way your vehicle was designed, just the way it is, you know. And I think about my vehicle, there's this one spot in the back where I know I can't see. And if there's a car right there, I can't see them. And I'm, I'm hesitant to do, instead of looking in the mirror, to do what? You know, because I want to make sure I'm not going to pull over. And I know we got new cars today that have all those blind spot indicators and all that kind of stuff, but, but we know what it is. But most of us also know when I say blind spot, I'm talking about a figurative term about things in our life that we fail to see. And a lot of times other people see that in us. They go, I don't understand why Craig doesn't see that. But I don't see it. And they see that I don't see it. But sometimes people tell you, and sometimes they don't. They just talk about it, right? They talk about your blind spots, but they don't ever tell you about it. And sometimes we can figure out those blind spots. And most of the time, 
It might be something about our personality. It might be about the culture or environment that we grew up in or in right now. It might be our belief system, how we think or believe. But that blind spot causes us to believe certain things or behave certain ways or say certain things because we have a blind spot in those certain areas. And recognizing blind spots in our lives can be very difficult. And a lot of times we can figure those out on our own. After somebody's told us enough times, we go, they're right. I, I missed that. How did I miss that? But it's even harder sometimes when other people try to tell us about our blind spots. Because, see, personal growth and maturity can occur when, regardless of how we discover those blind spots, we actually recognize them and we work towards not just saying, yeah, I got that blind spot, but what am I going to practically do to overcome that blind spot in my life. So today we're going to look at some of the two particular followers of Jesus. One we know the name of, the other we don't. But on Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus was resurrected, uh, these particular followers of Jesus had some blind spots. And it came to looking at Jesus and his overall mission in the kingdom of God. They kind of missed it. And it was clearly obvious among Jesus' followers and others that when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel accounts, that Jesus was constantly making his disciples, and especially the religious leaders, aware of their blind spots. He would talk to his disciples pretty candidly, wouldn't he? I, I always thought like it when he says, are you so dull that you don't get that? I mean, he just came right out and said it, but he really got on to the religious leaders because they were just oblivious to their blind spots. And after Jesus' crucifixion and after the resurrection, you might think that the disciples would understand more clearly Jesus' mission and his ministry in the world since he'd laid it out so many times in those three years leading up to his crucifixion and his resurrection. But as we read in our text today, there were these two guys that we're going to read about today who lamented after Jesus' death, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And that was the blind spot for them. Jesus was not doing what they thought he should do. Redemption for them was for Israel and for Israel only. And it was for to get them out from under the rule of Rome. That was redemption for them. And they could not see a bigger picture other than that redemption. And when it didn't happen, when Jesus was crucified and now he's been in the tomb for three days, they thought we had hoped he would redeem us and he hasn't. The bigger picture they were blinded to. And the bigger picture was not that they needed redemption from Rome, but they needed redemption from their personal sin, didn't they? And so do we. They failed to see that redemption from sin was not only for them, but for all of humanity. And it only comes through Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. So we're going to look at our text today and about this kind of blind spot of these two guys and how Jesus is able to help them with that. So let's look at Luke chapter 24, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 35. This is uh, known as the passage called the road to Emmaus. If you have read that before or know that, you say, oh yeah, I understand that. I hadn't maybe read that in a while. But if you're here today and you've never read this, I, I'm always glad when somebody hears a passage or a text for the, for the first time. And uh, Luke is the only one who records this in detail and listen to what he says. Now that same day, Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday morning, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything 
that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and was walking along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But here it is again. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is early, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now I know that's kind of lengthy, but there it is, the, the road to Emmaus story. Now, we see these two followers of Jesus are in this deep conversation about all this stuff that's been going on, the crucifixion, and it's been three days later, and now they're hearing that his tomb is empty, and they're thinking, because of their downcast, sad spirit, that somebody's stolen the body, but it's not in their wheelhouse to really say he is actually alive like he said he would be alive. And so they're talking about these things surrounding Jesus' death and the cross, and, it, and Jesus all of a sudden walks up as they're walking, and he just starts talking to them. And it says, Luke tells us, they don't recognize him. They were kept from recognizing him. Now, I don't understand that. I don't understand how they did that, but they didn't. They just saw him as a, a, a guy who's kind of buttoning in on their conversation and asking them what in the world they're talking about. But they're surprised when Jesus asked them about, what are y'all discussing? Because he's overheard it. But he's saying, tell me about more about what you're discussing. And they're obviously dejected and sad, as Luke describes their downcast faces. And they ask Jesus, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know about the things that have happened in these days? Which is pretty ironic if you think about it. Because Jesus really is the only guy who really does know about all this stuff. And he knows in detail about it. But these two men, and Luke tells us one of them's name is Cleopas and the other one is unnamed, we don't know, but they were followers of Jesus. And they tell Jesus about Jesus. They tell Jesus about Jesus of Nazareth. You haven't heard him, man, let me tell you about him. It's just interesting. And they explain that, notice what they say, he is a prophet. He was 
Well, not is, but he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. And they told about the Jewish religious leaders. They knew. Word has gotten out. We know our religious leaders are responsible for turning him over to Rome and having him killed. We know that. And now he has been crucified. And uh, they shared this statement again to show their obvious blind spot. And I've said it. This will be the third time I've said it. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They had hoped. They don't hope anymore. He's dead. But he told you he was going to die. What happened to their hope? Well, it was dead because Jesus was dead. Their hope was dead. They didn't believe their redemption had happened because they believed in a very different redemption than the one Jesus has actually died and risen again for. Jesus had been killed. He was buried. He was gone. And for them, that was it. Hope was gone. And notice they even mentioned that it had been the third day since all this had taken place. You see, this is crucial for us to see because in the Jewish culture, they believed that after three days of being dead, there was no coming back from that. There was this chance within the three days, but after three days, there was no chance of coming back. Which again shows their blind spot because Jesus raised somebody named Lazarus after how many days? Four days. That wasn't an accident in that culture. Jesus was saying, God can do what he wants, when he wants, however he wants. And it was interesting that he's, again, this is three days afterwards, and they think all hope is gone. However, they did mention to Jesus that some of our women amazed us. They had been to the tomb. The stone had been rolled away. There was nobody. Jesus is not in that tomb And again, they're not tracking with he's actually resurrected like he said he was. They're saying he's just not there. And some of our, and they said a vision of angels told them that Jesus was alive. And other of their companions had also gone gone to the empty tomb and seen that it was empty. But they have not yet seen Jesus alive. So after they inform this visitor about what's currently going on, then Jesus does the real informing, doesn't he? And he says, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And I'm sure they're kind of like, what? Who is this guy? We're telling him what's going on. And now he's going to tell us that we're slow of heart and foolish. And he said, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, I want you to think for a minute. What is the best or greatest sermon that you have ever heard? Just think about that for a minute, you know? Or maybe where, where in Sunday school do you remember a Sunday school lesson that you've never forgotten? Or maybe in a small group Bible study, something that you remember it happened at that Bible study. You go, I had never heard that before. I've never thought about that. That turned a light bulb on for me. We probably all have some of those, right? To think about that's happened. I, I get excited when I hear people in our church talk about, you know, in ladies' Bible study this week, I learned, blah, I have never heard that before. And you can see it in their faces. They're so excited. Or one of the guys in Bible says, you know, we were talking about that in our, our small group, and I have never heard it. And they get excited, and they want to do more research, and they want to know more. And that always excites me when I hear that kind of stuff. But think for a minute. Best sermon you've ever heard, can you imagine hearing Jesus Walking this seven miles, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. I can't name all the prophets, y'all. You should, you're the preacher. I can't. 
But the thought that Jesus could take from Moses and go through the whole Old Testament and talk about all those prophets and inter, how they're all intertwined and he made it all come together. Can you imagine that talk? I would have loved to have been on that. Now, for seven miles, they get this incredible education. Now, how long did it take them? Now, think about that. How, how, how fast can you walk a mile? Some of you got, you know, your Fitbits and all that. Like, oh, I can walk in 10 minutes. You know, that's pretty, that's pretty good pace. 12 minutes, pretty good pace. But I understand that a conversational pace where you're walking and you're talking and you're stopping and you're talking with your hands and talking more, it's about 2.5 miles per hour, okay? So at 2.5 miles per hour, you can cover a mile in 24 minutes. Now, that's pretty long, isn't it? But that's a comfortable conversational pace. So if you multiply 24 times 7, it took them 168 minutes to get to, possibly, to Emmaus, which is just a little shy of three hours. To have Jesus speak to you for 168 minutes, just under three hours, and bring all that together, that was amazing. I would have loved to have been there. I, I, I'm sure it happened really fast. Like, we're already here? I want to hear more. And they did want to hear more. It says as they begin to approach Emmaus, and, and keep in mind, y'all, Jesus is not only revealing all this, but he's also, you know, he just told them, you're slow of heart, you're foolish, they don't care. They're going, he's right, I did have a blind spot, I didn't get all this. And he's making it very clear to me why I have a blind spot. And now I don't care that he told me I was foolish and slow of heart, because he was right. And so during this three-hour journey, he brings it all together. And as they approach Emmaus, Jesus continued as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's almost evening. And they invite him in. And then he was, isn't this interesting? He was at the table with them. Then he took bread and he broke it and gave thanks and began to give it to them. And then that's when their eyes were opened. Isn't that significant? The very same thing that Jesus had done earlier, right before his death, just what, four days earlier? On that last supper, he's doing again. And maybe, I don't know that these particular guys were there, but they've heard about it. And now they say, all of a sudden it's revealed, this is Jesus. He's been talking to us the whole time. And then he disappeared. I don't understand that, y'all. I don't understand how a resurrected body operates, but he just disappeared. And then they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us, and they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Do y'all realize what just happened? It took us 2.8 hours to get to Emmaus, 24 minutes a mile, listening to Jesus tell all this stuff. You think it was a little faster going back to Jerusalem? I bet it was way faster. I bet they said a personal best or personal record going back because they wanted to tell the rest of the disciples, we've seen Jesus. He was right there with us. We couldn't recognize him at first, but we've seen him. And this event was critical for those two men. But y'all, it's also critical for us to hear eyewitness reports about Jesus being seen resurrected. And the empty tomb had not given them hope. They thought, oh, his body's been stolen. But when they saw Jesus, that's what really gave them hope. It wasn't enough to hear reports of an empty tomb or the angels being there and telling them that they, that they would see Jesus. They needed to see and experience the resurrected Jesus, and they did. And that and their incredible seven-mile lesson changed everything for these two guys. They really had hope now. And who else could know the scriptures like that and connect all the dots for them, removing that blind spot? They realized it was Jesus. Now, this also reminds us 
of the truth and the trustworthiness of God's Word, doesn't it? No matter how many blind spots we may have or assume others have, we always need to go to God's Word for answers, don't we? Always. And we can hear people in, in college classrooms or whatever, or you read stuff on the internet and go, oh, you know, the Bible says this, but that's really not true. Well, is it or not? You need to know God's Word and be able to say, oh, wait a minute, that is true. That is God's Word. And I really like how very intentional Jesus waited to reveal his identity to these two men till they sat down at a table for a meal when Jesus broke bread. You know, we're getting ready to do that, aren't we? We're getting ready together as the body, as fellow believers, we're getting ready to remember Jesus coming together with his disciples that night and breaking bread and saying, this is my body given for you. This is my this, is, this cup represents the blood that I'm getting ready to shed for you. And again, he's doing this again and revealing himself to these two men. These disciples were together, again, using food. And if you read a few verses after what I've just read today, Jesus, when they get all the way back to Jerusalem and they're telling them, say, hey, we just saw Jesus go, so did Peter. They're all excited about it. And then all of a sudden Jesus appears in the room and they're kind of like, well, what? Is he a ghost? He goes, come touch me. And then he goes, do you have some food here? Again, he brings that food. In that culture, in our culture, when we invite someone over to eat with us, that's an intimate thing. We want to get to know you. I'm telling you, it's a little bit of a risk because you may say no, but I want you to come in. I want you to eat my food. I want you to be a part of my house. Man, we get to know people that way, and this was no different. He goes, I want you all to know who I am. And we read later in this same chapter that he ate a piece of fish and goes, see, what do you know? Dead people do eat. No, I'm not dead. I'm alive. Dead people don't eat. I'm alive. And he ate a piece of fish. In Revelation, John would have this revelation given to him in John 3. This may be familiar, but John is talking about, or Jesus is talking about the church at Laodicea. And he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. He was kind of rebuking and disciplining these guys on the way, but in a way that revealed their, their, their um, blind spot and let them know the truth. And he says, so be earnest and repent. And this is what Jesus says, again, reminding us of, of what he does in our lives. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and what? You can say, eat. I will eat with you. I'm not just going to come in. I'm going to come and eat with you. That's something we do together. That's a part of life, but I want to do it with you and I want to eat with you. I want to be a part of your life. And there it is again, the reference to this intimate fellowship of eating together. But what do we possibly learn about ourselves today from this text? As much as you say, that's great, Craig. Yeah, I wish I could have been on the road to Emmaus, but I wasn't. But what does that have to do with us? Well, I think if we learn anything today is that we have blind spots, don't we? We may think we have everything figured out about theology and Jesus and the Bible and we have our opinions and, and all this stuff. But a lot of times if Jesus went to lunch with me today, I'd probably go, oh, <laughs> I'm wrong about a lot of things. And maybe you or I have lost hope today and we are as those two guys, we've lost hope. We're downcast. Why? And I have a reason to believe that why we are is because we have sort of the same line as they had sometimes in our life. Because we had hoped that Jesus would be the one who would redeem, and we fill in the blank with that. What do you want Jesus to redeem in your life right now? That's probably what you're upset about or downcast about. 
But we wanted Jesus. I had hope in Jesus because I thought he would redeem this fill in the blank for me. And you can fill it in with maybe our political system. We're all going to go to lunch and talk about that, probably. (laughs) If we just get this figured out, Jesus would just... But it may be something else. I had hoped Jesus would redeem my health. I would, I would hope, I had hoped that Jesus would redeem, put in a loved one's name, their health. I would hope that Jesus would have redeemed this relational situation I'm having with my spouse or my kid or this person at work or, or my financial situation or my career or my work situation. I had hoped that Jesus would redeem that. And because he hasn't, then I don't have hope in him anymore. And maybe that's our blind spot, just like those two guys. We fail to recognize Jesus has redeemed already what we most need redeeming, and that's our souls from sin. That's what we really need. And that sin separates us from God, and it separates us from one another. And he's done that through his life, death, and resurrection, but sometimes we miss that. And if we don't see that, we don't see our true identity. And we don't see the truth of the gospel. Now, please don't hear me saying that we can't hope and pray for God to redeem those situations. Our health, a loved one's health, or a a relational situation. But to want those things redeemed without wanting and needing an intimate relationship with God makes Jesus feel like he's just a vending machine. Hey, fix this, redeem this for me, Jesus, right now, and then I'll be on my way. And I think that's kind of why he said to them, how foolish, how you're missing it in your hearts. And we have these blind spots of wanting God to be this vending machine of redeeming miracles for our personal needs, and he wants to be more than that. There was a study done by some researchers at the University of Toronto and James Madison University in Virginia, and they proved something that probably most of us already know about blind spots. The study was provocatively called Cognitive Sophistication Does Not Reduce the Bias Blind Spot. And this is what they kind of came up with. They concluded that we cut ourselves a lot more slack than we do other people. No surprise, right? But writing about this study in the New Yorker, a man named John Lehrer explains why we do this. He claims that we all have these biased blind spots because there's a mismatch between how we evaluate other people and how we evaluate ourselves. When we consider the irrational choices of a stranger, for instance, um, we are forced to rely on how they behave. We see their biases from the outside, which allows us to glimpse their errors. However, when assessing our own bad choices, we tend to engage in elaborate introspection. We study our motivations, for example. We study our relevant reasons. We will lament our mistakes to the therapist and ruminate on the beliefs that led us astray. As an example, when I drive crazy through traffic, it's because I'm late to an important appointment and I should be able to do that. That's okay. See, I rationalize that. I'm late for something. But if someone else cuts us off in traffic, there's one simple observation about them. They're a jerk and an idiot. So we don't think about they might be late for something. They might be on their way to do anything. But no, they're just an idiot and a jerk. And so he concludes, our biased blind spots are largely unconscious, which means they remain invisible to self-analysis and resistant to intelligence. In other words... 
Just because you think you're smarter than everybody else, it won't help you see your blind spots or your junk. A matter of fact, the more intelligence may even add to your problem. What does that tell us? When I think I'm the smartest person in the room, I've got a big blind spot. A big blind spot. And we do have them. And it's not simply enough to say that we have them. And, and some of us are even proud about, yeah, I'm just that way. That's just the way I am. And we're proud of that sometimes. But how do we remove them? How do we clearly see them? Well, the way we do that, just like those two guys did, they walked with Jesus. They walked with Jesus daily. And when we walk with Jesus daily in his word and let him illuminate that word, we can see our blind spots. And another practical way we can help with our blind spots is you need to surround yourself with good people that will tell you your blind spots. And if you're mature, you will say, I'm inviting you into my life to tell me about my blind spots. That's not fun to do, is it? How many of you are willing to say, hey, Craig, tomorrow will you tell me about my blind spots? Am I, do I have enough courage to say to you, hey, will you tell me about my blind spots? But if you really love someone, if you really want them to grow and mature, you'll be that type of person. But it can't be without walking with Jesus. And that person needs to be walking with Jesus. He helped those two see their blind spots, and he can certainly help us see ours. So we need to walk daily in our journey with Jesus so he can through God's word, reveal truth to us that really can transform us in our lives. So I ask you the question today, are you walking with Jesus? It's only one week after Easter, are you walking with Jesus? It's a good time to be doing that, but it's a daily, lifetime thing to be walking with Jesus. And you can start that today. So we're going to offer an invitation. Maybe there's somebody here today that needs to start that journey. And you know what? Nobody comes to Jesus perfect. Nobody if we were perfect, we don't need Jesus, but we need him. We need his grace. We need that grace. And so if you're here today and you need that, we can try to walk you through that this morning by recognizing you do have sin, but Jesus has the answer for sin, and that was through his life and his death and his resurrection. So we offer that invitation today. I'm going to ask the praise team to come on up, and they're going to lead us in a song. And we're getting ready to go figuratively to the table where Jesus met with his disciples the night before he died. And we're going to remember that he's going to break bread in front of all of us and say, you know what, I know you all have blind spots, but my body was given for those. And he's going to hand it to us. And we're all going to get a chance to take that together. And I want to remind you, we're going to, it's going to be served to you today. So we're going to try to prepare our hearts for that. But there may be somebody here today that needs to make a decision to name Jesus their Lord and start walking with him, and we want to offer that. So I'm going to ask you to stand right now, and let's prepare our hearts as we go to the table with Jesus. <clears throat>